Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. It is a game day. We'll get you ready for the Canucks and New Jersey Devils, but the Canucks continue to climb the standings after their win over the New York Rangers yesterday. The Canucks, by points percentage, Sat, are 10th in the Western Conference, making the playoffs maybe more of a conversation today than it's been at any point in the season. Well, I mean, uh, it's not illegit- it's not illegitimate anymore, right? Yeah. Because even the number three team in the Pacific Division, and we all expect this team to get hot at some point, but because they haven't been great their last 10 games, yeah. the Vegas Golden Knights are the most realistic team to catch, just based on points. They're the team that's better. But the Canucks right now are four points back of the Golden Knights, and the Golden Knights have a game in hand. Yeah. They lose that game in hand. You're four points back of a playoff spot, which... That's something you can catch up in a week or two. You know what I mean? So it is within striking range. Now, we all expect Vegas to get better, and that's where, you know, the challenge kind of lies here. LA Kings have been so hot. I mean, they've won five in a row. They have 65 points. They're seven points clear of Vancouver. Could be nine if they win their game in hand. So they become a really hard team to catch. But it really comes down to Vegas, believe it or not, and then Dallas and Edmonton. Those are the three teams right now you're really slugging it out with. Yeah, Vegas looks like a team that's kind of trying to figure itself out with uh, with Jack Eichel, but also still missing Mark Stone. You know, they just haven't really clicked at any point this year to the level we expect them to. Edmonton, I mean, they'll they'll go with the way of their goaltending. But the point of this is the conversation is more real, you know, and it, it all comes down to... How well this team has played under Bruce Boudreaux. They've now got three wins in a row. They've won five Mm -hmm. of six. And like I'm watching last night. And yeah, Thatcher Demko is making some big time stops, mostly on Chris Kreider. But they looked like the better team for most of the night against the New York Rangers. They were broke down defensively at different points. Sure, Demko broke them out, uh, bailed them out, but for the most part, like they had a really good game against the New York Rangers, especially after the first period. And this is kind of the thing with this team is like I get caught into a trap of like, man, they they've got some really good elements about them, and then they'll have a night like against the Toronto Maple Leafs where they end up winning, mm-hmm. but Thatcher Demko is really like standing on his head to keep them above water in that game. It's like, w- what is this team? And and I think now more than ever, we're kind of having that, that conversation. Well, we, we had this discussion with Ian McIntyre last week yeah. on Canuck Central here, Dan, and one of the things I kind of threw by him was we saw this team earlier this year. They've had great goaltending all year, Yep, but they were a team that was playing bad. They were a bad hockey team in the first 25 games of the season with great goaltending. Then they kind of became a bit of a, a, a team that got red hot, especially when Boudreaux first took over, but then over the, the totality of the 25 games, they kind of showed that they were a average hockey team all of a sudden that got stellar goaltending, which puts you above average, right? It puts you in a position where you can fight for a playoff spot. And the question is, can they get better than just average as far as their team game is concerned? And I'm also including special teams here. Can you get to a point where your overall team play outside of goaltending is above average? If you have above average play and you have good goaltending, well, that, that gives you a chance to actually make the postseason the rest of this year. 
what they've shown the last couple of games is perhaps they can be a team that is a bit above average. Their PK has been a lot better in recent mm-hmm. games. They're scoring, scoring goals now. The power play looks like it has awoken yet again, right? Pedersen has come alive. So for the rest of the season, can they be an above average team with great goaltending? And if they can, well, perhaps you have a chance to sneak in. Well, that makes things really interesting because we've uh, spent a lot of airtime and talked a lot about trades, Sat, and who should stay, who should go, and what they should do. Because, look, I, I look at this team, I'm under no illusions that they are like some juggernaut that's just waiting to get into the playoffs and absolutely dominate, and they could go all the way, riding Thatcher Demko. I, I, I don't know. I don't see it. I still see a team that, against really good competition, does struggle. And I don't think the Rangers are there. So, as much as yesterday was impressive, I still realize the Rangers are a team that's punched above its weight because of a great goaltender that they've got in their own right. But when this team has played, again, the Leafs, that was a game where they looked slow and behind the pace. So... I don't know if there's anything that's happening right now that's really changing my overarching feeling of the team that there still needs to be some pieces moved around. I guess the bigger thing is when those pieces need to be moved around because, and you've been on this longer than anybody in the market, Sat. You have a team and an ownership group that would absolutely love to see a playoff run, even if they don't make it, just, you know, getting people excited about going down to the rink again now Mm -hmm. that it's back to full capacity and all those things. And we know what a playoff gate means to not just the Canucks ownership, but every ownership in the league, especially with the way the last two years have gone. So how do you balance that with what this team needs to do to get that next step better. Because if right now is the ceiling of what Mm -hmm. this team can be, they're still not quite good enough to be a contender. So how do you balance still not throwing away this season, but knowing you got to get better and take that next step? Well, one thing I have found interesting is a lot of this talk and fear that the Canucks are missing an opportunity here by not selling at this deadline not making moves, and mortgaging their future to kind of make the postseason. What mortgaging future? They're like, <laughs> I don't think anybody's trading a first-round pick to, to get in a rental over here. Well, that's exactly it, right? And yeah. one thing that's also very evident is, just based on everything Rutherford has said himself and Alvin, they want to get cap space because this team is maxed out on the cap with their players. They have enough space to keep most of their guys. They don't have any space to add. To their guys and how do you get better without having flexibility to add to your roster so even if you max it out this year you still have to make moves and the moves are coming if it's not at the deadline because you're in a playoff race they're coming in this offseason and and the question i have though about all this is like you mentioned you're not really losing anything the only guy you have to make a decision on is tyler mott and i cannot see this front office letting mock mott walk as a free agent so there's going to be a decision on him by the deadline one way or another but everything else what are they really missing out on? Yeah. If you want to trade Miller or Besser, they can still do that in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I think everybody's been 
has realized the fact that the offers for JT, the stuff that's been reported, isn't enticing. Even people that want JT traded, they see these offers, the stuff that's being talked about, they find that very underwhelming. So you can get the same thing in the offseason as you're getting now. So you can still make those moves later. If, if anything, you have more flexibility in the offseason. Because Pearson, Hamannick, and Myers, you have an easier time moving those guys in the offseason. Let's talk about Tanner Pearson. He's not going anywhere in season. Yeah. He has no trade clause. Yeah. It turns into a modified no trade clause in the offseason in seven teams, so a lot more flexibility for you. Hamannick's modified no trade clause goes away in the offseason. There's a $1.25 million bonus paid to him in the offseason. Once that it's clear, then it's a $2 million salary. That's easier to move all of a sudden in the offseason. And even a guy like Tyler Myers, that's a big ticket. That's probably easier to move in the offseason. So you're not missing out on those guys. So what are we talking about here? Luke Shen, who has another year left on his contract? Yeah. And is somebody offering you a second-round pick for him? And maybe if they do, they say, sure, we make that trade. I can see them trading Mott, and I can see them trading Shen and still being in a playoff race. You can do that if yeah. you really wanted to. It's, it's not, you know, <laughs> this isn't the St. Louis Blues a couple of years ago deciding whether or not they should trade Kevin Shattenkirk. Right. This isn't the Nashville Predators right now deciding whether or not they should trade Philip Forsberg. This isn't the Dan Hamuse situation that the Canucks find themselves in a number of years ago as well. Like, look, um, Tyler Mott, we've talked about a lot. Could his value, where could it be in trade, and how do you uh, balance that against what he means to this team and what his next contract could look like? But, yeah, reality is, like, of anybody else, like, that's the one guy you're saying you got to trade him. If there's no deal in place that's at a reasonable number, that's the guy you have to move because it's just it just doesn't make sense to not get something out of that asset. What are you getting for Yaroslav Halak? Those people that are still hoping for a Yaroslav Halak trade, I mean, it's not happening, you know? Very likely not happening with mm-hmm. Yaroslav Halak and his no-move clause. So there's... Not much here that actually needs to happen now. But are you mortgaging the future, in a sense, by just standing pat? Outside of Mott, are you costing yourself and your future anything by not moving out some cap space now to potentially have more flexibility going into the draft when a, a player like we've talked about, Shea Theodore, mm-hmm. maybe comes available as Vegas has to fix their cap situation. Those that's that's really the biggest thing that's in question here is whether or not the Canucks are potentially losing out an opportunity to make a deal like that when we get closer to the draft in July. Basically, is there something that you're passing up on that will not be available to you again? Yes. That's essentially the question here, right? Would they do that? And and I don't, I don't talk about something that's slightly better, but like just so overwhelmingly good, you can't say no to it. I think this team still can say yes to something like that, right? Like, and, and that's that's the thing to keep in mind here. As much as I've sat, sat here and, and talked about, hey, ownership wants this team to be in the postseason or at least make a postseason push and selling tickets matters. If they get presented with something that they view as too good to pass up, they're going to sign off on it. That's going to happen. And the same thing for Rutherford. If Rutherford and Alvin, they see an offer that is just so overwhelmingly good, they're going to take it to ownership and convince them. 
Yeah. So I think that plays a part in here. I think this black and white distinction that's kind of out here and this kind of dichotomy between you're either sellers or you're buyers or you're either going down this path or that path. I don't see that here. I, yeah. I th- I, for once, actually, multiple things can actually coexist at the same time, not just be true at the same time. They can actually coexist at the same time here. There's a realistic scenario, fairly realistic, where the Canucks actually trade Mott at the deadline, stay in the playoff race all season, and maybe even squeak in and then make major changes this offseason. You can literally have your cake and eat it too with this team, potentially. Because everything we're talking about, major trade-wise, is available for you this offseason. So you can live in a world where you make a playoff push, and let's say you can't sign Mott, you trade him, you get something out of it, you somehow make the postseason, have a fun little run, and then come the offseason, major changes still happen. Yeah, They're not fooled by what they see. Not to say that they're not impressed by what they see, but the reality is, especially with how this team is capped out next year, unless they make moves, they can't add to their roster. They can't flex things out long term. So one way or another, changes are coming. So I don't understand this fear about letting the deadline pass. You can do all those things in the offseason. You can literally make the playoffs still somehow, some way, and all those major moves you talk about can still come in the offseason. It's one thing, and this text comes in, they, they could also trade Miller and stay in the playoff race. True. But what's the point of trading Miller if you aren't getting the deal that blows your socks off? Well, that's the whole point. Right? Like... <laughs> By all accounts, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin have set a very high price on JT Miller. And why not? <laughs> have you seen him play lately? Did you see him play against the Calgary Flames? Did you see him, you know, make it look like he slowed down the space-time continuum against the Rangers yesterday, playing in slow motion as he finds the pass for Tanner Pearson and Tyler Myers? I mean, the guy is legit. He's a top-ten scorer in the NHL. You're just going to pass up on him for... Philip Heedle, Vitaly Kravtsov, and a late first-round pick? Like, what, what, what Canucks fan would be okay with that? Because that's the offer that's been on the table that we've heard about to this point. Maybe Lin- Nils Lungfist is a part of that deal. you got to take out Kravtsov or Heedle, though, because that's all the Rangers are willing to do at this point. The Maple Leafs. We got excited about that whole connection. Leafs made a call about Miller. Guess what? Died on the vine because they're not exactly excited about what the Canucks are looking for. And Jim Rutherford has all the leverage. The Canucks have all of the leverage here. They're in a playoff race. They know they have a player that other teams want, but he's not a rental. He's not an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. Why make a move that you don't absolutely have to? And it's not as if you wait to the summer and there's not going to be a big deal potentially there Mm -hmm. for you. There will be more teams that could potentially be in on Miller. They'll be able to talk extension with Miller. Those types of things are very much valuable to the acquiring team. And it puts the Canucks in a situation that people have wanted for years. How many times... Did we have discussions about whether the Canucks used their position properly? If they leveraged their position well enough in a trade talk, in a, in a contract mm-hmm. discussion, those types of things. And people were all like, the biggest narrative around Jim Benning was he didn't know how to use leverage. He was terrible at it. His asset management was awful. But now if the Canucks are going to leverage 
their position on this, it's it's not good enough? Like, I, I, I don't know. It seems like we're talking out of both ends of our you-know-whats here. Yeah, there is a lot of that, right? And I'm with you, Dan. Because, I mean, again, any one of these players, especially their key guys, they can all get moved this offseason. And that stuff is going to come. And as far as everybody else around the roster here, I mean, I see people texting in, Jason Dickinson, what about him? If they can find a move for him, they'll move him. Those guys are not really material to your situation. I'm not against making any one of those moves. People mention Tanner Pearson. He has a full no-trade clause. Yeah, He's got a young family. He hasn't shown any willingness to waive that, especially in season. That's a tough conversation to have. That's easier in the offseason. Again, I'm not against making any one of these moves, but the stuff people are talking about, how much of it is realistic? Right? Yep. Not much. And unless somebody is giving you uh, a higher-end asset for Brock Besser right now, are you making that move for a first and some cap space? We can make that same move in the offseason? I mean, yeah. here's I mean, people, people are saying, uh, what, about, what about Mott and what about, uh, what about uh, Markstrom and, and Toffoli and Tanner? Those guys walked for nothing. Who's walking for nothing? Yeah. Who's in that position? If Tyler Mott walks for nothing, go ahead. Get upset. Get angry. And there's no way that's going to happen. I can't see that happening. Yeah. They're, not gonna, they're either going to sign him or they're going to trade him. They're not going to let him walk for nothing. And here's the thing. Like, if these players uh, finish the season strong, you're telling me Besser's trade value is going to depreciate this offseason? Yeah. You're telling me JT Miller's trade value is going to depreciate or Bo Horvath's trade value is going to depreciate after this year? What are we talking about here? Yeah. They have a term on their contracts. They, have, they finish the season strong. You're in a better position to move these guys, if anything. Every player on the Canucks right now looks better um, with the, the way that they're winning games. You know, Luke Shen has become a really nice piece that they've found. He is extremely cost-effective, plays the right side, does a lot of those good things, and I can see why other teams may want him. There isn't anything, though, that needs to happen right now beyond Mott and I mean I'd like to disagree with you and get angry and like oh this is this is ownership just prioritizing potential playoff revenues and and not thinking about what's good for the future of the team have we already forgotten the thinking behind Jim Rutherford taking the job here like he's not taking this job if he doesn't feel like he's going to have a good amount of mm-hmm. say in how the direction should go. And he, like any good executive in the National Hockey League, understands you have to ba- balance what's smart business-wise with what's smart for the future of the team. And I know you're all going to send in your texts and whatever and be like, ah, Reach is being a homer on the, the team broadcaster uh, radio station and all these things, and it's just like – no, man, like there's like very few teams in the league that would pass up potential playoff revenue for the future of the franchise. Well, and, and I, you might have reason to say that happened in the past with this team, but that's not how it feels right now. No, and here's the reality, man. They're a three-game losing streak from being completely out of it. Yeah. And Boudreaux himself mentioned they have no margin for error, right? I mean, when you look at uh, them having to get 36 points the rest of this way, 18 and 10 doesn't sound too bad, really. But if you lose three in a row, that means you've lost three of the 10 games you can lose the rest of the way. 
Yeah. And then it's like, okay, now you have 20 odd some games left. You can only lose seven. That becomes, it becomes tough. It becomes a real math problem. The Canucks, by virtue of winning five of their last six games, have made that run a bit easier now because they've won yeah. five or six. Yeah. We, we said you have to go on a bit of a run to kind of get back into the pack a bit. That's what they did. They won five out of six, they're kind of back in it again. But they're one losing streak from that, this being done completely, right? So. That's the other thing. You still have three weeks before you get to the trade deadline. Jason asks this question. I understand those trades will be there in the offseason, but don't teams pay a little bit more because they want uh, them for the playoff run? Uh, and that's Jason texting in. And I think that's where a guy like Luke Shen comes in and a guy like Tyler Mott comes in. Yeah. Do you get a bit more for those guys at the deadline? Because teams want to kind of load up for a push. And that's what we're talking about. Guys that are usually a player that would go for a mid-round pick or something else or is getting a bit more for you at the deadline. What we're seeing when it comes to the higher-end guys, teams aren't willing to give you above and beyond. The traditional trade deadline deal for a top rental is a, is a first-round pick, a decent prospect, and a third piece. Well, that doesn't sound great for JT Miller with all the stuff you've kind of heard out there yeah. as far as the stuff that's being offered. That's not good enough for you. So unless yeah. somebody goes above and beyond... What? Why would you trade him? Those are the guys you look at at the deadline. That's why I'm saying even if you are in a playoff run, you have to make a decision on Shen and Mott. Those are the guys you have to make a decision on. And Shen has a year left on his contract, but Mott, you can't let walk for nothing. All those rest of those guys, you can explore things at the deadline. And here's the other thing. like You could actually be out of the race and be willing to be a seller and not be able to trade any of your big guys at the deadline. That can still happen because you may gonna, not get what you want. Yeah. You're not gonna you're not gonna make a bad trade just because it's the trade deadline. Well, and come in the offseason, there may be other suitors for your bigger name players, teams that are desperate because they missed on the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. I, I kept bringing up this example. I'll bring it up again. But what happened with the Flyers last year? They just missed the playoffs. Yeah, they thought they're going to turn it around really quickly. They had a top 15 pick. They traded it for Rasmus Ristolainen, who is a UFA after this year. They yeah. gave up a top 15 pick for him. Mm-hmm. There are teams that may be willing to do something like that that aren't willing to do that right now come this offseason. Maybe add a bit more to their deals. You have other suitors available. For your bigger piece guys who have term, you might have better options this offseason. It's very easy to say, like, oh, trade trade Miller for, you know, Braden Schneider and Capo Caco and a first-round pick. Okay, that's that's great. It's not <laughs> it's not realistic. Um uh, what are the Bruins going to give you that you can't absolutely turn down right now, right? Because the Bruins have been thrown into the JT Miller sweepstakes as well. Um, you know, they got some really nice players. Fabian Lysel looks great with the Giants. Right. But is that enough for you to trade JT Miller? Like, no, I don't think so. Well, that's the thing. Be. And again, again, if, if somebody's willing to give you something you can't say no to, I'm not against trading yeah. JT Miller if somebody gives or you anybody. an offer you can't say no to. Yeah. But the point is you're not being offered those things. That's, and that's where you're at. And, and yeah, you're a couple weeks, three weeks away from the deadline right now, so there's still a lot of time to go until we get there. Maybe the offers do increase, but this is nothing you have to do unless you get the pieces you want. And so Doug and Pomo is texting, and he's saying, why are we trading JT Miller? If anything, you trade somebody else. Look, we're saying do not make these moves. Unless you get what's out there and available to you. You know, I do think that the making that sort of move, especially while the team is on the run that they're currently on, would be pretty hard on a lot of players too. You know? Like, we know how much Horvat wants to win. And wants to be in the playoffs. And other players on this roster as well. We'll never forget Elias Pettersson telling a Swedish newspaper that he wants to play for a winning team. 
Nobody in Canucks land is ever going to forget that. No, and they they were not willing to forget it early this season when he was struggling either. Exactly. And, and hey, listen, when you struggle early this year and you say certain things, those things become fair. Yeah. Right? The criticism, I, I have no issues with criticism. I have no issues with calling guys out for what they've done. It's more about do you sell your stock in a guy based on a small, small yeah. sample. That's the bigger thing. But those guys, like, they, they want to be part of a winning organization. And yes, you're, you're selling them something different now with the new regime in place. But if they're on a run and they feel like they're close to a playoff spot, it's going to be hard for a lot of these guys to swallow a big piece moving away. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean they won't get over it, but it better be a package that they realize, okay, yeah, okay, this might hurt now, but this is going to help us down the line. Now, that's the thing you're also balancing here, aside from just the normal you know, ownership and figuring out the playoffs, bringing in revenues, those sorts of things. Like, there's a lot that goes into all of this, and selling a new culture of the organization is huge. You're right. All those things matter, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to what do you get offered that that makes you willing to punt on those things? Yeah. When you do the, you know, cost-benefit analysis and what you're kind of going through on both sides of it, there's always going to be a good side and there's always going to be risk, right? Which one outweighs the other? And so far, nothing has come across the Canucks table on one of their good players for them to sit here and say, yeah, it's worth it for us to let go of everything else and trade these guys right now. Uh, We'll see because uh, these conversations aren't going away and uh, Canucks players may not like it as we've heard a bunch of times, but... It's the reality of the current situation as uh, they find themselves in the murky middle and a few points out of the playoffs, but still the math is working against them. They'll have to keep winning Mm -hmm. in order for uh, these trade conversations to go away. Yeah, uh, I like this comment from uh, Church of Pedersen. Sometimes for the future means pausing in the present. Mm. It's very, uh, very stoic. I like it. (laughs) It's uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Don Taylor is uh, going to join us. We'll get his take on uh, the balance of the future and the now. Sports at 650's Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. This is Canuck Central. You can yeah. literally have your cake and eat it too with this team, potentially. Because yeah. everything we're talking about, major trade-wise, is available for you this offseason. Canuck Central rolls on. We are presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Text inbox is uh, all about it. Sad as the uh, Canucks' interesting trade deadline position continues to mm. uh, to be the talking point around the club. Yeah, it's it is it's 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 really really fascinating because people have made up their minds about what they want to see. And unless yeah. you tell them exactly what they want to hear, they think everything is wrong. 
So yeah. that's that's, that's kind of where we found ourselves with these conversations. And we kind of talked about this on the postgame show last night, too, because of I don't understand, like, the level of vitriol that comes out and level of frustration over what this team may do at the deadline and what it means and all this sort of stuff. It's like we're having the same conversations about the previous front office, yeah, about the previous regime and their previous direction. And they're kind of having those same conversations about what this team may or may not be doing right now and how 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 people really want to drive home the fact that this team's not good. And yeah, they may not be good enough, and yeah, they have flaws. We all agree they have to get better. But about what may happen this season, what what opportunities are available for you, and how you can make this team better, I don't understand half the frustration. I really don't. So, but by what metrics are the, is this team, like, so bad, though? You know, this is the thing now. Like, we've got a good sample of this team under Boudreaux at this point. And they trade chances at a even rate, you know, about 50-50, as we talked about. They are above water at 5-on-5, five five, probably because of their goalie, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, that helps a lot. But that's been something that's been consistent all year long, is that they've been about even at 5-on-5. Five it's the special teams that have tilted the results, whether it, you know, when it's been bad and it was really bad in the start of the season, you know, the results were really poor when it's been good. You know, they, they tend to win a lot of games because most nights they don't get beat at five on five sat. Yeah. I mean, five on five, the last couple of games, they have been better. They've made a lot of things better, right? Yeah. They, they have improved under Boudreaux. There's still a lot, there's still a big way, there, there's still a lot of room for this team to improve. There's 100%. still a lot of much better this team can get, right? Could they make the playoffs and be, in, be a dangerous team in a round or two? Yes. We saw what happened in that bubble year. We also saw how big the separation was between them and a higher end team like Vegas. Demko gave you a chance. A great goaltending can give you a chance. But you want to be a team that doesn't have to rely on great goaltending. And that's what they're trying to build. Let's bring in our next guest. He joins us uh, weekly here on Canucks Central. It's Don Taylor. Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV, Monday through Friday. What's happening, Donnie? Uh, a lot of minor hockey playoffs that's going on these days. i got two boys playing minor hockey, so I think I've talked about that before. So a lot of that going on right now. Hockey, hockey, hockey. That's uh, hey, could be worse, right? <laughs> oh no, I love it. It's, it's a whole lot of fun. Oh. No, it's uh, it's it's great. Um, and you know, on the Canucks side of things, uh, they they've kept the conversation going. I know, uh, you guys have talked about it on on your show, but it's it's the conversation going on in the city right now. You know what what does this team do? What does it prioritize come deadline time? And you know, it's it's only getting a more a, a more it's only becoming more of a difficult conversation because of the fact that this team just keeps winning hockey games well to me it's it, there there's um there, there are two elements involved here well there's a lot of elements involved but in terms of looking at the standings okay three points out of a playoff spot 28 games left definitely doable um but the thing that blew me away not blew me away but caught me by surprise last night after all was said and done in the national hockey league uh, four points out of third place in the Pacific Division yeah. as Vegas falters a bit. Um, that one really surprised me. It just gives you an indication how far they've come under Bruce Boudreaux and how, you know, it's. I just think what a great business you're in and I'm in and anybody in the, in the sports talk business is in right now because, yeah, I think we've got three, 
four weeks of or at least three weeks of us talking about what the heck are they going to do? What what is their focus? Is it going to be you know a playoff push, doing well in the playoffs, or is it going to be uh, the future? So mm-hmm. it's really really interesting right now. Well, one thing you you know I I, I understand that the conversation is kind of kind of becoming an either or distinction, but. I think there's a real possibility here. You can kind of have your cake and eat it too this year. And by that, I mean you might make a trade at the deadline involving, let's say, a Tyler Mott because you can't sign him. You somehow, some way, make the postseason, play around, and you lose. And then you make all those big trades in the offseason still. Because I don't think this team is going to be fooled by what they see. I think they realize what has to be done and that they have to clear cap space one way or another. So as much as their big players are concerned, you can still be in this race and kind of humor this run and also still make all those big moves in the offseason. I think if I had to guess that what what's going to happen, that would be it. That they stand pat to some extent and just see what this group can do. Because it's been darn good. Uh, there was a stat on Sportsnet last night about how they have the best offensive record in terms of goals against uh, per game since December 6th, since Bruce Boudreau took over. So, you know, given all the question marks, why not get, and, and the run of relative success, why not give these guys a shot, see what they can do? First of all, see if they can make the playoffs. Secondly, if they do make the playoffs, what will they do? With that goaltender, you don't know. Something, you know, something crazy could happen. It did in the 2020 bubble, so and I hate to refer back to that because that's what the previous regime always did, and that didn't work out. But I, I could see this group thinking that, that, hey, why are we rushing here? There's something here that looks kind of special. Let's see, let's see how they do. And we still have time to make moves in the offseason if things don't work out or even, even down the road to the next trade deadline. Well, it's so easy to say, like, trade this guy, trade that guy. I mean, if you're not getting adequate value, uh, what are you trading for, right? you got you got to make sure the deal makes sense for you. And, you know, on that note, you know, by everything we can gather, JT Miller's name has been the one that will not go out of the conversation. But I just wonder if... If people around the league view JT Miller the way that uh, we've seen him here in, in Vancouver the last few years, like it's not the first time this guy's been around a point per game, Donnie, but it, it seems like the rest of the league is just figuring out JT Miller's been a pretty good hockey player for a long time. We listed off today a bunch of names on our show. Uh, Patrick Kane, David Pastanek, Artemi Panarin, Tavares, Marner, now Crosby. A lot of those players haven't played as many games as – Miller, but they're all behind JT Miller in the NHL scoring race. It's mm. a pretty impressive list. And a lot of them have played, uh, Marchand, a lot of them have played the same amount of games. So um, I, I just can't see how the, how the league um, could possibly have, have ignored him since he's been in Vancouver. Uh, he, he, you know, obviously mm. there were warts in his game in New York. Uh, there was a cap crunch in Tampa Bay in order to fit him in. So, um, he's obviously grown a lot, given more responsibility. I just, I'm just trying to figure out what he can't do. I'll tell you what really impressed me yesterday. And remember, they're using him on face-offs, power play, penalty kill, first line, center, wing, and all of that. But the way on both goals, especially the second goal by Myers, on both goals that he set up, he slowed the play down. And usually that's a sign of ultimate respect from the opposition, where you don't want to jump towards a guy because you're worried that somebody else is going to be open. They just let him do what he wanted and let him see the play. 
and there was just so much respect there that it kind of ended up hurting the Rangers. Uh, I just I just thought that was so impressive. It just told me a lot about what that team, the Rangers, and maybe what the rest of the league thinks of the guy. They have a lot of respect for him. No, they absolutely do. I mean, when he's playing at that level, it's just, you know, he's just such an impact player for this Canucks team. Ultimately, we'll see what happens in the offseason. But, you know, as far as building up a case for making a run here, and we know how little margin for error they have here, right? No room for error. They won five out of six just to kind of get into this spot here and kind of be in the playoff race. But if they're going to actually make this run, they're going to need Pedersen to be alive, Miller to be going, Demko to making be making saves, Hughes to be on his game, and they're going to need Bo Horvat to find that game as well. And he played really well against the Calgary Flames the other night. They won the game the other night. Too. Uh, they won last night too, of course. But if they can get all three of their centers going and their goaltender at the same time, that's probably their best road to making this interesting, isn't it? Yeah, everything goes down the middle, and you know Horvat, I believe, was minus two yesterday. He had the tougher assignment, you know, the toughest assignment of, of everybody. But yeah, I mean, obviously, there's not many teams. You know, if if you move JT Miller to center, or even if you keep on the wing, but let's just say if he was at center, to have that strength down the middle with Hughes with Demko, that's 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 a pretty good pretty good foundation. And you've got that fourth line going as well. Uh, you'd like to see more consistent production from Besser, but it, I, like I just, th- there seems to be a lot there. It's just that you know, I think y- y- yourself, myself, everybody, like we're having a hard time having this conversation because it's the Canucks, and you just expect the word. But I mean, you just look <laughs> at the point totals, and it's there. It seems to be there for the the taking. How much better they've been under Boudreaux, and yeah, it's 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 they get everybody going down the middle and get a little bit more help from everybody else. Yeah, it, it could very well be there. I see like, how much trouble I'm having saying this. It's almost, I'm having it at the force <laughs> my mouth open to say it. <laughs> well, they take two or three this week and then, you know, come back home. I think they got a seven game homestand following yeah. that. So, I mean, any, anything becomes possible. The math still really isn't in their favor, but kind of one thing that I, I'm looking at here like they're playing a lot better like even the process has gotten better over the last few games they kind of went through the whole COVID thing where one guy at a time was kind of out of the lineup and once Hughes got back they've kind of been on a roll here Donnie throw that Anaheim game out and things have have really been going well since they've gotten healthier and you know as long as Demko is their backstop in this team I mean, you can cut, you can easily talk yourself into this team doing some damage, I guess. There you go. There you go. You can. And by the way, don't bring up that Anaheim game. Canucks have played up played so well, <laughs> yeah. and that was the one game my family went to. And it was just horrible. Like the Canucks have played so well lately, we picked the one giant dud to go to. So that's pretty sensitive. So I appreciate if you don't bring up the uh, Ducks game. And by the way, that's the second straight Ducks game we've gone to that has just been awful in the family. But <laughs> and we'll stay away from Anaheim, even though they're a pretty good, pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, young team. Yeah, I just I I I I don't know what to, it's kind of fun though. It's kind of fun not knowing what to expect. Yeah, uh, you know, I but I watch this team play. I just don't expect them to be as bad as they were earlier in the season or as bad as they were last year. There just seems to be some something special there. I know it's intangible, but there just seems to be something there. I think I feel like uh, the the feeling of the fan base of you know the the this team is going to somehow mortgage the future is is maybe just like um, 
you know, it's it's kind of a PTSD of what's happened the last number of years, right? You know, not yeah. going through the rebuild the way they should have, and it's just you feel like this team has done it so many times that they'll they'll probably do it again and get fooled by a, a string of results that that maybe aren't exactly indicative of what the team actually is. Yeah, oh gosh, if they mortgage part of their future, I, I just you know, honestly, like what does Francesco Aquilini care about? You know, if you got, you got him in, in, in cornered in a dark room, and he would and he had to tell you the truth. Um there's an image. Um <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uh, he cares about business, right? Like, well, that would be so bad for business to mortgage the future. It just it can't happen again, especially when he is an owner. I know he hasn't owned the team since 1970, but he's been down the road before mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, we had a little bit of success here. Let's trade this guy and, 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 and for, you know, or, or this draft pick for this guy, and it'll all work out. And while we're at it, let's you know, sign a couple of journeyman free agents to four or five year contracts and overpay them too. It just, it just, it would be horrible for business. I can't possibly see it happening again. Can't see it. Not with, not, not with what Francesco is older now, hopefully he's wiser, what he's been through and not with Rutherford and Boudreaux, uh, um, uh, in charge. No, I'm absolutely with you. Now, between the pipes, the Canucks have been getting stellar goaltending from Thatcher Demko. And, you know, after every game and every week, we hear more and more fans refer to him as becoming or perhaps even being the greatest goalie in Canucks history. And that's actually a tough list to crack. There have been a lot of great goalies. But do you think this relationship with Demko is made more special by the fact that he is a Canucks draft pick? Well, yes, no, no question about it. And the star of that 2014 draft, draft pick, mm-hmm. uh, a draft uh, year, for the Canucks. You mentioned sad about all the great goaltenders. I don't know if you heard uh, Thatcher talk. I can't remember what game it was. He talked about this uh, last week. I think it was, maybe, it was like Mr. Calgary. Again. That's yeah, it was yeah. after the black skate. Yeah. Yeah. The black skate. And he talked about the, the McLean look and all of that and um, how he respected that run of goaltenders that the Canucks have had. You can, you can, any of us can rip or criticize what the Canucks have been up to since 1970. But they've had a pretty good, pretty good history of, of great goaltenders. Going back to Gary Smith, 75, it was a Hart Trophy a candidate that year. Richard Berdur took him to the 82 Stanley Cup final. Obviously, Kirk McLean, uh, Roberto Luongo. There's a lot there. Jacob Markstrom has turned out to be a fabulous NHL goaltender. And now, now Thatcher Demko. And the fact that Demko acknowledged that, knows that, just gives you an idea of just how smart he is and I love his calm in the net. There's just there just seems to be a whole lot there. And the other thing, guys, what about the way he's been developed? Like they've they actually did. I know Ian Clark has a lot to do with a uh, lot to do with this, but there's a great example of how you develop a player, especially a goalie. Take your time, and I know it was a little easier because Markstrom was around, but it just it it, it really bodes well, hopefully for a long, long time for Canuck fans. Uh, I figure you, since the Black Skate came up, I figure you to be a more of a stick and rink guy than than the Black Skate. You know, damn those Black Skate jerseys look good, and and <laughs> and, and especially on HD, which wasn't the case when they were around. Right. Honestly, guys, it's like the Grizzlies uniforms when they were when they were actually here. The Grizzlies with those uniforms, people didn't really like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Flying Skate jersey, same thing. I don't remember a lot of love, but. They just look so good on HD TV. They look great live. They're a little bit meaner. But I also remember hearing the same sort of thing when they brought out the blue and greens for the first time. 
I think it was Luongo's first year, 06, 07, or in the 07 playoffs. I think I've got that right. And it, that those look great. But let's go back to those. So keep that in mind. But man, they look good. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they made a move to to wear them more. Demko, that was the other thing on uh, last Thursday. He let the cat out of the bag. That um, and I don't know if he meant to do this, but he said that they were only going to wear them once. That was it. That they're scheduled to wear them once this year. And I just wonder because of the way that game went if if that uh, if that won't change. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. Donnie, we appreciate the time as always. Thank you. Love it, love it. Always fun, guys. Thanks so much. There's uh, Don Taylor, Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV. Uh, we had that scoop well before anybody because of uh, the great Kevin Woodley, who joins us every Wednesday yeah. on Canucks Central. And uh, he basically said, uh, Canucks goaltending coach, Ian Clark, doesn't love black or dark pads. So don't expect the black skate to be a regular for the Canucks anytime soon. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, after that game, mm-hmm. played fairly well. <laughs> Every Canuck is like, we need to wear these more. <laughs> Connor Garland's on the postgame show with us. Like, yeah, man, these are great. This is like as good as the black Kachina jersey, and I love that jersey. <laughs> He's like, me and Millsy were talking about it. He was so excited about it. Um, but... I don't think they'll be wearing it again. At least not this season. Uh, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. I do feel like that's a lot of the uh, where the sentiment from the fan base comes, Sat, is like, we've seen this movie before, and it usually ends with mm-hmm. the Canucks spending future assets to try and get a little bit better. Um, it's it's just, it's not going to happen this time. No, it's not. And and I and it's funny because, you know, I, like I mentioned, I don't see this organization. They're not going to let Mott, Mott walk for nothing. People are yeah. like, oh, thank God. It's like, really? <laughs> like, that's how little faith people had in, yeah. in this management team? I mean, it, it, like, like I've been saying, these are smart people in charge. We haven't seen them make a decision yet, right? And we'll see what they do. But... There is a smart way to balance short-term and long-term. Yeah. There, there is a way you can do it. What's foolish is sacrificing long-term for short-term. But like we've been outlining um, this entire hour, there is a way to do both in this instance. Yeah. There always isn't. But in this case, where the Canucks find themselves, there is a way to balance the short-term and the long-term. Because a lot of stuff you're looking at right now is going to be available for you in the offseason. Well, if the Canucks were to trade Mott, though... Let's just say they trade Mott, who is the only unrestricted free agent that is realistically going to get moved because Yarrow Halak has a no move clause, and you know there's not a ton of there's not a huge market for goalies out there at the trade deadline anyhow. But Tyler Mott moves. What's the Canucks PK look like for the rest of the year? It's a great question. But it's also one of those things where the PK has, even with Mott, um, it's kind of been bottom of the league, yeah. right? And he, he's, he is their best penalty killer. He's a good penalty killer. Don't get me wrong. It was historically bad without Mott in the first bit of the year. But again, like I, I don't see that being... A, like He's an important player for this team. He's not important enough for you to have on your team just to make a late playoff push and then say miss the playoffs and then he, yeah. he walks as a free agent. You're not a good enough team yet to take that type of a risk with a guy. I mean, the Canucks had Alex Burroughs back in the day. And they yeah. and that was a team back in 20, I think 2008 or 2009 or whatever it was. That was a good team making a playoff push. And they said, hey, you're signing an extension or we're trading you. Yeah. And he signed a four-year extension. 
Uh, Gordy Lott comes in uh, talking uh, on Twitter about uh, Nonis in 08. He got burned in 06 and 08, didn't sell, missed out and lost plenty of core assets for nothing. Canucks need to be bold. Um, it's it's an interesting spot they find themselves in. Three weeks to go to the trade deadline now, March 21st, and there's a lot that can happen. They lose a few games, maybe they're more inclined to listen to offers at the deadline. They keep winning at the rate they are, maybe they're not. And you could definitely see it going both ways, but again... There's only one player that the Canucks absolutely have to move, and that's number 64. That's the guy. That's the one guy. Well, they, they have to make a decision on him. They don't have to move him. I no, they don't. Say. I mean, you could sign him. Yeah. Right? And, and the thing here, though, is if you're signing Tyler Mott, though, as an organization, you have to have a pretty good idea of what you can do to create that space to sign Tyler Mott yes. on your books for next season. Does that mean you have a good idea of I can move this salary out this offseason or this player I may be able to move out? And one of the things that this team has done in or during this time when they're talking to other teams is like Friedman's been mentioning something I've been mentioning for weeks. They're gauging the value of every single one of their assets. Yeah. Outside of Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko, they're gauging the value in everybody. They want to see what the league thinks of their guys so they can go through their list and say, okay, this guy is worth this. These are teams might be interested. It gives you an idea about what you have. And what you might be able to do, even if you want to do something or not. It just yeah. gives you information about your guys and how they're viewed with the rest of the league. So a lot of that is ongoing here for this team. But if you're signing Mott, I think it has to be coming with the understanding and the confidence of knowing you have money you can move out. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. This is Canucks Central. So coming up, we're going to get more into the game for today, the New Jersey Devils on tap, and uh, 3.30 is when the official pregame show gets underway. Canucks will have Yaroslav Halak in goal. That's next on Canucks Central. What does Francesco Aquilini care about? You know, if you've got, you got him in, in, cornered in a dark room, 